0: Welcome back to the podcast. Happy St. Patrick's ish day. Getting this out a little early so you have time to have more intelligent conversations with your friends while wearing green on St. Patrick's Day. Uh, Because we're going to be talking about St. Patrick himself and lots of the really interesting stories surrounding this figure that I think most people, if you're like me, know almost nothing about.
1: Yeah, that's what I feel like most people, they know the name. Yeah. They know the country Ireland. And like the list usually ends there.
0: <laughs> yeah. And if you know anything else, it's like, oh that he like drove the snakes out of Ireland or what or something like that.
1: Yeah, they'll yeah, if you ask them, they'd be like he like got rid of all the snakes from Ireland, which we're definitely going to be talking about today. Yeah. But I thought it'd be fun if we looked at What we know about St. Patrick. What is the man? What is the myth? What is the The
0: legend? legend. (laughs) (laughs) Love it.
1: And I love I love saint stories because saint stories are in this kind of like in between space between being like part of a religious mythology
0: mm-hmm.
1: and being religious or yeah religious legendary figures. Yeah. And I figured this would be a great podcast episode subject to talk about just because it covers a lot of the things that we talk about a lot on the podcast which are Christianity moving into an area and how that affects the stories, mm-hmm. how people become legends, and how stories are used then back when the stories you know were like being created and then how stories those same stories are used now. So, I was like this is right up our alley. Oh, yeah. To like talk about. So there are tons of different well-known stories about St. Patrick. And we're going to be going back to some of the material that's from right before the Middle Ages. So uh, before about 400 A.D. to the high Middle Ages, which are the year 1100 A.D.
0: Oh, man. What year is like St. Patrick from?
1: Oh my gosh, I'm definitely going to tell you. Because <laughs> <laughs> so I'm like, the, this is a like, lot wait.
0: older. Yeah, it's like.
1: Yeah, you're like, how old is this guy? Um, He's super old. <laughs> most of the information that scholars have on who St. Patrick was and what he did during his life actually come from St. Patrick himself. He wrote the Confession of St. Patrick. He wrote it in Latin. And apparently mm. he was always really embarrassed about his Latin ability because he did not finish traditional school. Okay. And you're, uh, you're about to find out why. <laughs> and so because he didn't finish traditional school, he would blame that on like why his Latin was like so poor. Was yeah. he's like, "Okay, you have to like forgive me because my Latin isn't that great because I didn't finish school." So, St. Patrick was born into a rich family in britain ish area there's like a debate on whereabouts, yeah, they were born, but they think most likely his family lived in Wales, which was at the edge of what was then the Roman Empire. so this is the end of the fourth century, I believe crap. he was born in three hundred and eighty six
0: a d oh man, that's way older than I thought,
1: yep, so <laughs> like <laughs> way back, way back when. Way back when saints walked the earth. (laughs) (laughs) So I had said that these materials were written pre-beginning of the Middle Ages and in the Middle Ages. So the beginning of the Middle Ages was when the Roman Empire was starting to collapse. And so when... St. Patrick was born. We weren't quite there yet, but the Roman empire was starting to have some problems and St. Patrick's family were living on the borders of what was the Roman empire. So they were some of the first areas that were feeling the effects of like this, like decaying empire. Mm -hmm. So their family, were Roman officials, or his dad was a Roman official and also a Christian deacon. But St. Patrick himself claims in his writing that he was not religious at this time, which he was like a teenager. He was like a 16 year old who wasn't super into religion or yeah. schooling or whatever. He was
0: going through that so, like rebellious, like atheist, like reading lots of Nietzsche phase of his. <laughs> Just kidding. Yeah. Nietzsche hadn't written anything yet because this is he was so like, freaking. Long it, ago. He was like
1: angsty in his room reading Ketra and the Rye. Just like <laughs> everyone's phonies. Uh, <laughs> so uh, I'm like, I totally give Saint Patrick like a pass. In in the Confessions of Saint Patrick, he's really hard on himself, which was actually a, a writing style that a lot of the saints, religious people of that time or, like, wrote in, they, yeah. like, very much were, like, like, I am a worm on the gutter of the shoe of... T-. It was, like, what? The
0: gutter <laughs> of the shoe? I don't know what I'm saying. <laughs> but it sounds awful.
1: <laughs> yeah. So St. Patrick himself claims that he, yeah, wasn't very religious at that time when he was a teenager, which I'm, like, hey, I give you a pass, buddy. We've we've all been 16. So when he was 16 years old, there were Irish raiders and pirates that were going along the edges of the Roman Empire. So that's why they think probably in like Wales, somewhere along the coast of Britain. And so Irish raiders had, you know, gone over east and were capturing young men and women to use as slaves. So, St. Patrick was uh captured and taken to Ireland as a slave. And there's some debate as to what area he was enslaved in. Some say it was like the northeastern coast of Ireland, some say it was closer to just like the northern coast of Ireland, but either way, he was in Ireland. <laughs> And he was working to tend the sheep of his captors and he was like out taking care of these sheep for six years. And he says that he was like praying every single day. He suddenly found religion (laughs) Mm. (laughs) because he was in this really, you know, desperate situation. So the story goes that like for six years, he was praying every single day and night to God to, to be saved from his like situation. And one night he said that he heard the voice of God telling him to go to the coast. And he would find a man who would let him aboard his boat and sail to freedom. There's also a contradictory story (laughs) that says that he heard a voice of God in a dream that told him where to find some buried gold And he, like, dug up this gold and bought his freedom Mm. with that money.
0: Was it at the end of a rainbow?
1: (laughs) I was actually, when I was, like, researching, I was reading about this, like, Irish mythological creature. I don't know. The name was, like, really long, and I would probably butcher it. But they're, like, these little elf people, Mm -hmm. and they have, like, pots of gold that... Like, if you catch one, you can, like, get their gold from them. I think they're called, like, a leapercon.
0: <laughs> Dang it. I thought it was going to be something else.
1: I'm so sorry. But I wonder, I...
0: like, my you know, it's it's very simplistic. But, I, I, you know, when you said that, I was joking. But I was also like, I wonder if maybe that's kind of part of where this comes from. I don't know.
1: Maybe. Maybe. I have not done a whole lot of uh, research into these leprechaun (laughs) creatures. I've heard that they're magically delicious. (laughs) Can you imagine someone's like (laughs) I'm so sorry. So whether it was, like, God telling him to run to the coast to, like, make a break for freedom or whether he bought it with the gold that God helped him find there's always God like involved in yeah. in that story it's like it's supposed to be like this miracle story and so either way he got to the coast and there was a ship and st patrick asked if he would be able to get on to the ship and in some versions of this story cuz there are like multiple versions of stories yeah. of this man's life Or like multiple different like legends. So there's one where the boat is filled with dogs, like hunting hounds, and they are barking and bellowing and just like making like a racket. And the second that St. Patrick got onto the boat, they like quieted down. Oh. And so right before they were about to kind of like launch the boat, the captain of the boat was like, I think that this kid's like a runaway slave. I don't want to be involved in this like funny business. So they go to like kick him off of the boat and the dogs start like howling and barking and making this like huge, like ruckus until the captain was like, okay, get it back on. (laughs) (laughs) Get it back on. And, and the dogs like quieted down. So that's like another version of like Mm. how he got away. And there are some people who believe that what, more likely could have happened is that it after seven years of enslavement, there was a situation where it was not uncommon where after seven years of labor, a person would be let free.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: And so that also could be a thing, yeah. but that one's much less miraculous. <laughs> therefore a less desirable <laughs> like, exactly. story. Yeah. Yeah. Especially because, like we talked about, if you're using these stories to show the divine nature of somebody or show like God's hand in your life, you want as miraculous a story as possible. Yeah. So- So,
0: so far, we've got two tips to become a legend. One, make sure you write your story down. We've talked about this before. If you don't write it down, there's no record of it. You're going to be forgotten to history. Number two, make it sound as miraculous and impressive as possible. (laughs) So those who are tuning in to figure out how to become a legend themselves, we're, we're seeing the steps play out. Yeah.
1: Yeah. St. Patrick himself wrote a lot. The legends were, like, not written by him. Right. Which is, like, another thing that's, like, interesting. But anyway. So one way or another, St. Patrick got on a boat and was able to sail back home to Britain. So when he got back to his family after some, like, wandering in the wilderness, uh, there's other stories that, that go in that space of time. But he made it back to his family, and they were overjoyed to see him, and he promised that he would, like, stay with them and be with them. And he also had promised his life to God for rescuing him. So years later, he had another dream where he was called by God to go back to Ireland and preach to the, quote unquote, heathens and bring Christianity to them. And so since he was loyal to his promise to God, he went back to Ireland. And I have a quote from a Philip Freeman, who has a Ph.D. in classics and Celtic studies at Harvard University. (laughs) And he says, Patrick wasn't the first Christian to reach Ireland. He wasn't even the first bishop. What made Patrick successful was his dogged determination and the courage to face whatever danger lay ahead, as well as the compassion and forgiveness to work among a people who had brought nothing but pain to his life. None of this came naturally to him. However, he was a man of great insecurity who constantly wondered if he was really cut out for the task he had been given. And yeah, if you read any of the Confession of St. Patrick, you will see, definitely see that, like, in his writing, that he was very much, like, like, I am a screw-up, and I don't know if I'm doing anything right.
0: (laughs) Hashtag Um, relatable. Man, I'm liking St. Patrick more and more.
1: Yeah. So inside the quote, also from Philip Freeman, he says, He had missed years of education while he was enslaved in Ireland and carried a tremendous chip on his shoulder when anyone sneered, as they frequently did at his simple schoolboy Latin. He was also given to fits of depression, self-pity, and violent anger. Patrick was not a storybook saint, meek and mild, who wandered Ireland with a beatific smile and a life free from petty faults. He was very much a human being who constantly made mistakes and frequently failed to live up to his own Christian ideals. But he was honest enough to recognize his shortcomings and never allow defeat to rule his life.
0: Man, I love St. Patrick.
1: And it was like most of the stories and the legends that persist about... People are, especially about saints, are the the ones that are very much like, and he was so good.
0: Yeah.
1: (laughs) And like, no, they were human beings. And so like, they also felt human feelings, like human emotions, and had to like, deal with that. Mm -hmm. And so legends are so fascinating, because it's like, there is a real person. Legends are, are about real people. Yeah. So there's this real person, this real St. Patrick, and we forget that it was like a real person because the story about them is more of like, you know, somebody that we would imagine as we're like reading our favorite like fantasy novel. Yeah. And it's like, no, no, no. This was like a living, breathing human person.
0: The one thing that stood out that was really interesting to me was like the, you know, fits of violent anger. I'm like, are we going to hear some about this violent anger?
1: Um, I think in the story that I have, all of the violent anger comes from the Lord God.
0: <laughs> okay. As long as there's violent anger, I'm in.
1: Yeah, for sure. 100%. I think one thing that made St. Patrick the perfect person to be sent to Ireland was... That since he had lived in Ireland for six years and been like around like the language, the culture, the people, Mm -hmm. he could understand what their social customs were. And he was able to use that to convert people. Right. So I was watching a documentary called St. Patrick, Apostle of Ireland that came out in 2008 and it is available on Amazon Prime Video. (laughs) That's where I watched it. So in that documentary, it said that when he was called as bishop to Ireland, he was not called on a proselyting or evangelicalizing, if that's a word, like mission there. Yeah. Because they weren't really trying to convert the Irish people to Christianity. They were just trying to keep the Christians that were there. Right. going. They were yeah. just like, oh, okay, we've got some Christian people out there. We've gotta like, you know, we need to retain that. Yeah. Uh and so he was sent to do that work, but ended up being able, because of his understanding of Irish language and culture, to be able to reach those people better. So one of the stories that I hear referenced a lot about St. Patrick is the story of when he used a bonfire to celebrate Easter. And he did that because at the same time, the Celtic Druids, they were getting ready to celebrate Beltane, which is like the, like the coming of what's like the summer season the start of like the Mm. summer season for their cattle and they would start a bonfire because they had a a a god who was symbolized by fire but he was like the the sun the growing like sun the growing energy of the sun because beltane was, like, kind of the the start of the high season for the sun when there was, like, the the sun was going to be growing in strength, and so they would light a bonfire. Interesting. But St. Patrick lit his first to celebrate Easter, and that caused a conflict. (laughs) And so that is usually, like, the part of the story that, like, people tell and reference, but then they don't go into, like... (laughs) the rest of the story so i wanted to tell like kind of the rest of that story kind of a fuller story so the place where i got this story is found in the life and acts of saint patrick by jocelyn jocelyn of furnace was a hagiographer which is basically a biographer, but it is a person who is recording the life and teachings of a saint or uh, like a holy person. Yeah. And so, Jocelyn of Furness was a monk who uh, was just you know sitting down in like eleven eighty A.D. Yeah, recording stories about the life of Saint Patrick. So he was recording the stories of the life of St. Patrick about 600 years after.
0: Yeah. Oh my gosh.
1: St. Patrick had died. Yeah. Uh, But he was recording some of the most prominent stories that were like written or told about St. Patrick. And so this story that I'm about to tell you, it is inside of that collection of stories of the life and acts of St. Patrick. So, on Sunday before the Virgil of the Passover, or Easter, St. <laughs> Saint, Saint Patrick went up to this one hill, and he lit the lamps at the Blessed Fire. So, on that same night, in the, the writing, it says that the idolaters... Which again, the story is being told from the perspective of uh Christians. And so we know every time that they're talking about, you know, the Druids and the local religion, they are saying like magician, and they'll be talking about how the Druids worshipped like the Prince of Darkness, which in Christian mm. vernacular means like Satan, like the devil. But yeah. druids druids didn't believe in the devil. <laughs>
0: Yeah, they had and their so, own like, stuff that they were yeah, into.
1: Yeah, they had their own stuff that they were into. Um, and so this story is supposing Christian correctness. Right. And so, yeah, when I'm reading through it, it's interesting because they're like, and these people. And so you, when you're reading, you have to know that like, this is coming from a place of <laughs> like, not liking the local religion. Got it. Which is always fascinating to me, the way that humans treat each other. (laughs) (laughs) So on that same night, the quote unquote idolaters were going to be lighting their own light, their own fire for their high festival, which, again, it says in here that the druids were using to, quote, consecrate the dark to the prince of darkness. (laughs) But we know that the Druids don't believe in the Prince of Darkness. But for the Druids, they would extinguish all of their lights and the priest would make a new fire. And then everyone was supposed to gather to that fire and use it to rekindle their fires to have in their house. But St. Patrick lit his first, which caused a cultural problem (laughs) because the Druids basically saw that as like a, you know, a personal affront to their religious views. And since they were the predominant religion in the area, that was very upsetting to them. So the monarch King Logare saw the light that was lit and he was super angry. And he asked his magician <laughs> druid priest who lit that. And his priest responded, and I'm going to do this in quote because it's a prophecy Unless yonder fire be this night extinguished, he who lighted it will together with his followers reign over the whole island End prophecy. Mm. And I, I find it really interesting that this story is being written by a Christian. And yet the prophecies of the Druids in this story are being used as proof of St. Patrick's miracles. Yeah. So the, it's like, okay, wait. So the Druids are capable of prophesying the truth, but at the same time are doing it, By the power of Satan, like, according to the Christians?
0: I mean, I guess it could make sense, like, oh, you know, like, Satan showing the future. Like, I think kind of a similar argument was used against, like, witches and things like that. Like, knowing things that were true that they shouldn't know because they were, you know, tapping into the power of Satan. But it is this really weird, like, okay, but then how do we know that when... How can you tell the difference between someone that's predicting and prophesying something that comes true via like you know the power of darkness versus like the light or whatever, you know. Yeah.
1: Like, mm. And and as long as it comes true, does it matter if that truth was revealed by an evil source? Yeah. It like I, I just like I just found that yeah, it's, it's just really, 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 really interesting. interesting. Yeah. yeah. I'm with you. <laughs> But anyway, so the monarch uh, Leo Gaer he had a group gathered to go and extinguish that fire that Saint Patrick has had lit because obviously King Leo didn't want whoever had lit it to quote unquote reign over the whole island because he wanted to reign over the whole island. Of course, because for some reason kings always seem to think that like when somebody's reigning over others, it's in a king sense and not in a religious sense because like when the druid priest said like whoever lit will quote reign over the whole island when the king heard that he was hearing that he was going to get ousted
0: right but and replaced re- with a different king
1: yeah but st patrick was coming to spread christianity and then christ would reign over the whole island is really like uh. what what the druid was prophesying but not really but the exact same thing happens in the story of jesus christ if we have any listeners who don't have any christian background i'll explain really quick that this kind of mirrors jesus christ uh because when jesus christ was born the wise men were coming to look for this like king that was being born and king herod And the story in the Bible got worried and upset because he thought that somebody was going to come and, like, dethrone him. And so he ordered that all of the infants be murdered. And Jesus was able to be kind of hidden in Egypt until this was over. And then he, you know, went back to the area yeah, in, but in the no, prophecy
0: sorry. was never meant to be. He's going to be the literal like king, monarch of the area. It was he was going to be like a religious king.
1: Yeah, a religious leader.
0: Yeah, a king so that is interesting. in
1: the kingdom of heaven, kind of.
0: Right. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, thing. yeah.
1: And so this this story kind of like mirrors that a little bit, um, and a lot of the stories of saints mirror stories that are found in the old testament and new testament and we'll we'll see that more in this story so anyway the monarch leo gare had a group gathered to go and extinguish that light the saint patrick's had lit um it says that leo gare gathered thrice nine chariots which i'm assuming is 27 <laughs> <laughs> Wait, so couldn't you just
0: say that Can i'm you like i can't do you? math
1: yeah like why do i have to do multiplication? This isn't the fourth grade. I don't like that. So they all ride over to where St. Patrick had lit this fire to have a little chit-chat with him. <laughs> so they get to St. Patrick and the king's priests say to the king, like, don't go up to St. Patrick because that would show your weakness, like going to him. You should order him to, like, come down the hill to talk to you. So King Logare sends a messenger to St. Patrick to ask him to come out. So this man named Hercuse has come over with the monarch. And when he saw St. Patrick coming coming down towards them, he was overcome with the spirit of God. And he got up and was honoring and venerating St. Patrick. And so St. Patrick blessed him there on the spot and promised him eternal life through Christ. And then the story says that he was baptized and became a bishop and worked and died in the city of Slain. And I'm like, wait, 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 whoa, whoa, whoa. stay on the same timeline with yeah. this story. <laughs> like, like we're, they went on a journey right there. They're like, let me tell you about this whole man's life. He yeah. never, sh- he never shows up in the story again. So I guess. <laughs> so we got to wanted- get it
0: all out. Yeah. Like let's just get it all over with because he's never going to come back into it. You know, like let him have his happy ending and then we'll come back.
1: Yeah, so, like, they just, you know, told them that's his whole thing. So this magician, druid priest guy, his name is Laku, he saw this happening, this blessing of this guy, and he was really irritated. And this story frames it as Laku uttered blasphemies against the Lord and his Christ, For being driven mad by the delusions of devils, he declared himself to be a god and the people being dazzled with his cheats and stubbornly adhering to his pernicious doctrine, worshipped him even as a deity. So this priest, Loku, in his frustration and irritation, because apparently he was used to being treated, you know, like a holy guy, because in that culture he was a holy guy. Anyway, Yeah, he was irritated and in the story it says that he called on the prince of darkness. To raise him up, so this priest, Loku was like, Whatever powers that be, <laughs> probably not Satan, <laughs> but anyway he, he he called on his own druid mythological people to raise him up, and by that, I mean he like started to like levitate in the air, he started oh, like wow. rising <laughs> up into Ooh. the air in front of everybody, and everybody around is like. Oh my gosh, the Prince of Darkness is so powerful that he can make this man levitate. Again, this is coming from like a prin- like
0: <laughs> right.
1: Christian position. So St. Patrick called on the Lord. O omnipotent God, destroy this blasphemer of thine holy name, nor let him hinder those who now return or may hereafter return unto thee. And as St. Patrick was praying, Loku fell back to the earth at the feet of St. Patrick, and he cracked his head on a stone and died.
0: Oh, my gosh.
1: And he, quote, his spirit descended into hell. I'm like, wow, guys.
0: (laughs) It is interesting, too, that you have, like, the two. And it's why it was important that they went on in that little tangent of the other guy. Because it's like, oh, here are these two people. And these are the choices that you can make. Like, you can convert and be blessed like this guy. Or you can be killed, have your head cracked open, and then go straight to hell. It's like, uh, you know, like, narratively, that makes a lot of sense why they've got these two Two of the local people who took different paths and how it turned out for them.
1: That's true. That is that is a good point of why they would have that, that short little scripture about, like, this guy did the right thing. And look how ha- he lived a long and happy life. Yeah. He became a bishop. <laughs> it's like, okay. So when King Logare saw this happen, he was really upset. And so he called all of the people who had come with them, all those 27 chariots worth of people, uh, to rise up and kill St. Patrick. So St. Patrick quickly quoted Psalms. He said, let God arise and let his enemies be scattered and let them who hate his face be put to confusion. And then God started raining down Thunderbolts and lightning, very, very frightening. calaléo calaléo
0: calaléo
1: Figaro. The of
0: That's very applicable to the this story, actually.
1: Yeah, very applicable. Perfect
0: incredible. soundtrack.
1: So the Lord just started raining down. I literally wrote thunderbolts and lightning, because uh, that's like what it said. But then just now it made me sing the song. Yeah. So, like, thunder was striking the earth, and people were getting, like, were running around screaming, and they're just, like, on this hill, and they're just like, pew, 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 <laughs> and they're like, oh my gosh, yeah, running everywhere. So the king grabbed some of his, like, it says he grabbed, like, four of his, like, top officials and went and hid And then the queen came forward. So I'm like, wait, wait. So the king like grabbed four people. (laughs)
0: Left his wife behind.
1: (laughs) Yeah, like left his wife just like out and about. Like, wow, bro. Uh, But the queen, she went forward because she does have a believing heart, a soft heart that is willing to uh, listen. So the queen came forward and she begged St. Patrick to stop this like, aerial godly assault mm. um and so st patrick of course you know saw the righteousness in her decided the humility in her decided that he was going to take pity on these people so God stopped this all from happening and the king came out and he like faked all like repentant and was like, oh no, like, I'm so sorry. Like we should definitely like listen to your message that you have to like teach us. I'm so sorry about like, you know, all of this that just happened. That's, that's on me, but we can be friends. In fact, tomorrow you should come over to my place to share the word of God with me. And so St. Patrick agreed to that. He was like, good. I like it when people, you know, want to turn their lives around. Mm. So he agreed to that and the king left. So after the king says goodbye to St. Patrick and starts returning to his palace, he stops some of his troops that, you know, are going back with him. And he's like, hey, so right here in this, like, ditch in this gully, this is a good place for you guys to hide And St. Patrick is going to have to walk through here to get to the palace. So the next day when he's coming through this way, when you see him coming through, just ambush him and murder him. His group was like, that sounds like a great plan. Super job king, even though they had just been attacked by thunderbolts (laughs) from God. I don't know why they agreed to this plan, whatever. So they hid themselves, the King and the rest of everybody else went back to the palace. So, and the King was like, whatever, they'll take care of it. This guy isn't even like a problem anymore. So the next day, St. Patrick and eight of his fellow holy men, um, started walking over, but they were under the protection of God. And so when they passed through, the troops eyes were quote unquote bound and they only saw eight stags walking past them. So they thought they were these like big deer. And so St. Patrick and his group got to the palace, which I can only guess how like shocked the King's face looked when yeah. he like did like a spit take when they like all walked through St. <laughs> like, Patrick is like, I'm here. And he's like, Oh no. I thought I killed you. So, it says that the court bard saw St Patrick and he immediately upon seeing St Patrick could see that he was a man of God and, you know, was covered in the Lord's holy light and he, the court bard, converted on the spot to Christianity and from then on his poems were more excellent and exemplary <laughs> than they had ever been.
0: Nice. Which
1: I'm like, of course. So the king, of course, was, like, super upset, very, very angry to see St. Patrick suddenly, like, in his house when he was pretty sure that he had told people to, like, kill him. Um. So it says, who he could not slay with the sword he plotted to destroy with poison. Mm. So he assigned a quote unquote evildoer, which is another, it's another uh druid priest. It's okay, guys. Luag Meow. Luag Meow to poison Saint Patrick with wine. So Luag Meow poured some poison into the drink for St. Patrick, handed it to him, and so when St. Patrick had the cup of wine in his hand he did the sign of the cross and invoked the name of the lord and then he tipped the cup and all of the poison poured out into his hand and the rest of the drink stayed in the cup oh wow i'm like that's a cool party trick but what are you gonna do with that handful of poison
0: (laughs) (laughs) splash it right back in the guy's face
1: (laughs) And like there's a thing in like like in improv and theater and like when you are holding a uh like a an imaginary prop you as the person who's holding it need to be aware of where it is at any time. Yeah. And so this actually this part of the story just like really really bugged me because they never said what he did with his handful of poison. So to yeah. this day, to me, St. Patrick <laughs> is still standing <laughs> He's just there.
0: wandering around doing the rest of the story. Like just with a puddle of poison. in his Yeah. Hand, it was like, like a puddle
1: of poison, like in his hand. So anyway, St. Patrick, then after he like poured the poison out, tipped the glass, drank the wine and was totally fine. Obviously the King was super frustrated with this. So the magician, Luag Miao, was stunned, but not deterred. And so he kind of invited St. Patrick into a miracle off <laughs> where he's like, I'll do a miracle. Then you have to do a bigger miracle. Like, we'll do these like back and forth. And St. Patrick was like, no, I will not tempt the Lord by asking for signs from him. So Luag Miao was like, well, whether you want to play or not, like I'm I'm gonna take my miracle turn. So he, you know, called upon the powers that be that he had, and suddenly this giant snowstorm started. It was totally his like Elsa moment where he was just <laughs> like, <laughs> let it go, let it go. No, inappropriate. So this snowstorm started happening and it was blizzard and people were getting upset. People on like people on both sides were getting like upset and the king was like, "Oh my goodness, like what is this? Like this is like really really bad." And St. Patrick was like, "Yeah, Luagmiel, you sh- you showed us, you know, some power now make it stop." And then Luagmiel was <laughs> like, "Well, I don't know how to like stop it from happening." <laughs> an act an act of love will thaw <laughs> so luagmial had to admit that he did not know how to make the snowstorm stop and so saint patrick called on the lord and the snowstorm stopped the clouds parted and it was beautiful so now luagmial he's more upset more angry so he calls on the powers that be to cover the world in darkness. So then there's suddenly this like thick fog of darkness. And then everybody's like, stop it. Like make it stop. Like you need to like clear this way. And then he admits again, that he doesn't know how to clear the darkness away. And so St. Patrick calls on God clears the darkness away. And St. Patrick says to him, like you only have the power to make these bad things happen. You don't ever have the power to make good and light come into the world. So now Luag Meow is super mad. Also, the king is super mad, both at Luag Meow and at St. Patrick, because he's like, you guys are making everything awful. And so the king was like, how about this? Both of you write down your holy writings onto some paper, and then we'll dunk them in water. And who's ever... Uh, writing doesn't like bleed away like into the paper we'll know that that person is like more holy and Luang is like no we're not doing it that way because Saint Patrick has power over water that's one of his elements because that's what he uses to baptize people Mm. and then the king is like Oh, then we will, like, we'll burn the papers and whoever's doesn't burn up will know is, like, the right one. And then the Meow says, like, no, well, we can't do that because St. Patrick, he has power over fire elements as well. That's something that, like, he has on his side. And St. Patrick is like, I do not worship the elements. I worship the God of all the elements. Mm. Which I was like, excellent. Excellent burn, which is funny because of what happens next. (laughs) So they devise this plan of what they're going to do, which I'm like, this is such a convoluted plan. So what they decide to do is they're going to build, it says, a house with two sides. One side of the house is built with green wood, so wood that's harder to burn. Mm -hmm. And the other side is built with dried wood, wood that's easier to burn. So they've got this house, like, split in half. And Luag Meow puts on St. Patrick's robe, and he stands in the green half of the house. But then... St. Patrick's buddy, whose name is Benages, who's like an aspiring bishop. He's a, an aspiring Christian lad. So Benigis then puts on the robe of Luag Yeah. And stands in the easier to burn side, the dry wood side of the house. So then they light the house on fire. <laughs> <laughs> and... The side that was green burnt down and it burnt up Luag Mial inside it, Ooh. but left St. Patrick's robe ah. untouched by flames.
0: I was wondering why the wearing of each other's robes was a part of this.
1: It was like, yeah, a like, oh, well, if I have your holy robe and I'm standing over here, then because it was supposed to be like, whosoever robe Was like untouched by flames. I don't know. They're trying to crisscross the gods or something, like confuse them. But it's fine because Luag Meow, he like burnt up. But then Benegis, his his side of the house didn't burn up, but his robe from Luag Meow did burn up.
0: Oh, wow.
1: But Benegis was fine. And everybody obviously was like super, super astonished and like, yeah. oh my goodness, like, how could this happen? And the king was super mad and again ordered the people to attack St. Patrick.
0: Oh, geez.
1: And the ground opened up and swallowed them.
0: <laughs> oh, man.
1: <laughs> it didn't swallow all of them, but it swallowed like a bunch of them until people stopped yeah. what they were doing. And this. A lot of people who witnessed this were, like, converted and wanted to be baptized. The king repented but refused to be baptized. And so St. Patrick said that he forgave the king, but that God would not allow any of his children to ever be the ruler in Ireland again. But the queen believed in Christ and, quote, rested in the Lord. So that was the story of when St. Patrick lit that Easter fire. So it was yeah. like all these like trials, which it reminds me a lot of. Is it Elijah? And Baal? am Baal. Yep. Elijah. So this story for people who are more aware of like some of the Christian theology or this one's in like Old Testament. So this is Judeo-Christian. Elijah was challenged to like show signs of the power of God and to test his powers against Baal and like the prophets of Baal. And there's like, like pillars of fire and, you know, them wetting Stuff before lighting it, but even though they'd covered the material in water, it still burnt up. And so, a lot of that same imagery from that story in the Bible, yeah. the Old Testament about Elijah, is present like inside of this story. And that's like what I had said that a lot of the stories about the saints mirror. Like yeah stories that happened in the Old testament and New Testament, and that's super some, interesting and apocryphal writing, so yeah, so now you know kind of a a longer version of that story than just like, oh, there was a fire that Saint Patrick lit for Easter, and that defeated the druids, it's like oh uh, it's a bit it's a bit longer,
0: <laughs> yeah, they left out all the coolest parts,
1: yeah. So obviously, this story was used to show how Saint Patrick and his gods, the gods of the Christian religion, were more powerful than the Druid gods. Whether this happened or not, like that's what this story being told and right. and and retold and preached about and stuff it was to kind of remind people like oh the god that we believe in the christian god is like the the more powerful god that was the purpose of this story was to like push out the the druid beliefs and make room for christian theology yeah in ireland interesting so now jeff is going to tell us I would argue one like the most familiar St. Patrick's Day story for us. And this is also coming from that same book that I'll reiterate the title. The Life and Acts of St. Patrick.
0: So, yes, this is the shorter but more famous story <laughs> of St. Patrick expelling the snakes from Ireland. Sort of. When Question I finished, mark? <laughs> when I finish telling it, you'll understand why I'm wondering if that's what's happening so it starts that in hibernia or in the other islands that received saint patrick's blessing there was no poisonous animals would continue to live there or come back and be revived or on top of these poisonous animals this quote unquote wanted troop of demons would also not be able to abide there um so the saint saint patrick completed a fast of 40 days without any earthly food. And it says specifically, some people might be like, oh, a 40-day fast, that sounds familiar. <laughs> he wanted to imitate the fast of Moses from the Old Testament, who did something similar. Elias, also known as Elijah, who we just talked about, who did that, you know, miracle off against Baal. But most importantly to St. Patrick, he wanted to imitate the fast of Jesus Christ, who also himself had done this you know, sacred 40-day fast in the desert. So, following in the footsteps of his you know, religious heroes, he goes up into the top of this mountain so that he can be alone to pass the season of Lent before Easter comes. He gets to the top of this mountain, he puts these five stones down, and he puts himself in the middle of these five stones. The significance of these stones, I'm not exactly sure, but This guy thought it was important enough to write down. So I'm going to share it with you. (laughs) So he wanted to show himself as being like a servant of the cross. And I don't know, maybe if he arranged the five stones, like in the shape of a cross, like around himself or something, but that was kind of the point he sat there and the manner of his sitting and the fact that he was fasting was supposed to show himself as a servant of the cross of Christ. And so he sat there all alone and he basically was like kind of praying this entire time to Christ. And that was all he did was just like bearing out his heart and soul and like talking about, you know, like symbolically, you know, the cross that he himself bore in his heart and on his body. And even though he was super hungry, because again, he wasn't eating for 40 days. He says the inner man within him, his like spiritual self was satisfied and filled because of the sweetness of this divine contemplation and the comfort of angelic visitation. And so when the demons saw that he was doing this, they were not happy. It says that they were grieving the loss of their dominion. And so they started like coming after St. Patrick on the top of this mountain, trying to torment him in the middle of his prayers and his fasting. And so they were fluttering around him, it says like birds. And they were like huge. And there were so many of them and they were just making all this noise, hoping to interrupt St. Patrick's prayer. But- St. Patrick being a holy man and kind of protected by God, he made the sign of the cross and doing that sent these demons who had taken the form of deadly birds and just banished them forth from the island. And it also says that the continuous sounding of his symbol. So he was like, made the sign of the cross and started like bashing on a symbol. And it basically scared these demon birds away till they left the island and flew far beyond the sea. So from that time forward, even till today, which the today in question is like 1100 AD, maybe to this day as well, I don't know. All venomous creatures and all fantasies of demons have through the merits and prayers of the most holy father, St. Patrick, entirely ceased in Hibernia, AKA the island of Ireland, the end.
1: So most listeners will have noticed that there were zero snakes in the story.
0: Yeah. And I had like a little quibble, too, because it talks about earlier. It's like poisonous creatures. And then at this last part, it says venomous creatures. And I was like, snakes aren't poisonous. They're venomous because... Poisonous would mean if you ate them that you would be sick and potentially die. Whereas venomous is if they bite you and inject the venom into you, which is what snakes that are venomous are.
1: Yeah. And I mean I think we'll cut this guy some slack. <laughs> Since he was he was working with the, the science of his time when he was writing and, and the language <laughs> of his time.
0: It could be a translation error, for all we know, too. So.
1: It's like a thousand years ago, and it's like,
0: and I'm like, well, hey, hey, sir, get your facts straight.
1: Like <laughs> get it together. So this story of like how Saint Patrick rid Ireland of all of its snakes, but the story itself, when you go back, it is missing the snakes part. Yeah. it talks about
0: all the demons. Like,
1: Demons and venomous creatures, and so it begs the question how did we get here? Like, how did we yeah. get to a place where we relate Saint Patrick with snakes and like yeah. ridding us, ridding Ireland of snakes? And that is such an interesting topic, and <laughs> we're gonna talk about it. So, we look at what well, we started off with what Jeff just read to us and we look at, OK, we ended up with St. Patrick literally removed the snakes from Ireland or like that's that's what he's credited for. How did we get here? So to examine that question, we need to learn about iconography and the importance of religious art <laughs> and also the confusion of religious art. So most people that were alive when a lot of these stories were being written down and recorded were illiterate. And one of the ways that they had devised for helping people who were illiterate to still have access to some of these stories was through paintings. In fact, there was this whole religious discussion that went on around icons, iconoclasts, people who wanted to break the icons, who wanted to destroy the icons, thought that they were sacrilegious, that they were idols that Mm -hmm. people could worship. Therefore, they were wrong. Yeah. And when when this was like being discussed, one of the things that was pointed out was that people who are illiterate need these pictures to help them to remember the stories that are being told to them. And that was actually one of the things that kind of helped with that ruling of icons are okay. We allow them, people are allowed to to have them because they are able to help people focus on the religion. They're Mm. not a replacement for What they represent, basically.
0: Right. So visual aid to the religious stories.
1: Exactly. But to understand the icons, you have to know the story already. Yeah. (laughs) That went with the icons. And so sometimes that didn't happen quite the way (laughs) that it was supposed to. (laughs) A, for instance, and I found this story in... A book that I definitely recommend people read because it's really interesting. I recommend everything written by Colin Dickey. This book is called The Afterlives of the Saints. And again, that's by Colin Dickey. He also wrote Ghostland, which I've like recommended like a a million times. times. Yeah. Yeah. I want to read all of his books. So in The Afterlives of the Saints by Colin Dickey, he wrote this story: Saint Lawrence. Lawrence was martyred during the Roman Emperor Valerina's persecutions in 258 AD and, according to legend, was executed on a gridiron over an open flame oh as he was. Yeah. Oh, yeah. A lot of the martyr stories is really gross. But listen, you're going to like this one. <laughs> <laughs> what a horrible thing for me to say. <laughs> but I promise you will. As he was being burned alive, so the story goes, he cried out to his tormentors, This side's done. Turn me over and have a bite.
0: Oh, my gosh. The (gasps) gall. The cheek.
1: (laughs) The cheek. So, continuing quoting from the Afterlives of the Saints. Lawrence is recognized now as the patron saint of comedians. Like most martyrs, Lawrence has multiple patronages. He protects not chess comedians, but also students, as well as Rome and Rotterdam, Canada and Sri Lanka. Perhaps most bizarre, perhaps even disturbing, he is the patron saint of barbecues. <laughs> Oh, man. So how did he become the patron saint of barbecues? Because in the icons of him, often the saints were depicted with something that killed them. Mm-hmm. It's like the, the stories that were kind of the the most vivid about them, they would get painted yeah. with items from that so that you could be like, oh, that item is from this story. That item's right. from this story. So a lot of them, if they were martyred in some way, their The item that was used to kill them was often depicted. And so St. Lawrence was often pictured holding a gridiron because mm. he was like, that was how he was like killed. He was like cooked. So he's like walking around with this like grill. Yeah. And you have people who... Don't necess- they can't necessarily remember quite his particular story because there are lots of saints. There's lots of, like, holy people. So yeah. they, they can't quite remember what it is, but they're like, okay, he's carrying around this, like, gridiron. Maybe it's because, like, he cooks a lot of meat. Yeah. So he's the patron saint of barbecues. They'll see a picture of him and be like, you know what? I feel like this guy gets me. This guy, like, yeah. understands me. And so I feel, like, attached to him. So a quote from the Afterlives of the Saints. These corruptions happen from the bottom up, from the uneducated and working classes, adrift in a world of subsistence and hardship, searching for patrons to aid them. In search of solace, they find these bizarre images of disembodied torture and do their best to make sense of them. So people would see that and be like, I think I remember the story. I think I understand, like, what is going on. Images are books for the illiterate. But if so, they are a curious kind of book, one whose meaning is strangely open to interpretation, in which the poor and the illiterate have been free to adapt the ambiguous images adorning churches in whatever manner might give them solace or hope. It is here in these misinterpretations and the odd patronages of the saints that Catholicism reveals its folk aspect, its native traditions and local customs. That's cool. If... Anybody goes and Googles St. Patrick, the two things, like if you Google like paintings of St. Patrick, images of St. Patrick, what you are going to find is one pictures of him holding a three leafed clover. He'll be holding the shamrock because there's a famous story where he used it to explain the Trinity How the Father, the Son, and the Holy Ghost are all separate leaves, but they're all part of the same whole. Uh. So he's shown in the paintings holding the shamrock. He's often holding a staff that he would use as he was going all around Ireland. And in a lot of the paintings, he has snakes at his feet and he might be like pointing a finger like casting them out like pointing like go that way or they're just like you know part of the image so you have people who are illiterate who are seeing lots of pictures of saint patrick especially in ireland he is their like patron saint and he's always got these snakes and they might remember from like school or class or whatever from a, a bishop or a parent telling them like oh yes in this story this is depicting when he banished these like demons from Ireland or these these snakes as a snakes as a symbol right for these demons out of Ireland and they start to think is that why there are no snakes in Ireland? Because there are no snakes in Ireland. Mm. But scientists have discovered That there have never been snakes in Ireland. (laughs) (laughs) One, because of when the Ice Age was happening, it was way too far north for anything reptilian to live. Right. So they weren't there. And then when things started to warm up, it's an island.
0: So there's no way for them to get there.
1: Yeah, there's no way for them to get there.
0: Interesting.
1: And... So there've never been snakes in Ireland, but when people start hearing that story like, oh yeah, he banished the snakes and they're like, oh yeah, we don't have snakes and then they start thinking we don't have snakes because St. Patrick banished them all. And it seems to like line up. Right. But this story is largely symbolic. Right. And the thing that it symbolizes is like demons are, you know, demons. But snakes were often a symbol associated with pagans and servants of the devil. Because right. from way back, the story of the Garden of Eden, Satan came in the form of a serpent. And ever since then, people through stories of especially in the Christian religion have linked Satan with snakes. Right. And so since these Druid people were being uh, demonized by the Christian church and uh-huh. viewed as evil and servants of Satan, so St. Patrick was not ridding Ireland of snakes. St. Patrick was ridding Ireland of the Druids, of all of the heathen religions, the pagan religion, and pushing that out and making way for Christianity. And that is really what that story is about. Right. Uh, because, like, as we we're talking about with, like, the last story, it, these stories were to show power that the Christian religion had over the gods of the other people. Right, right. And so that's how the story was used before. Then the story became about him literally performing a miracle where he rid Ireland of snakes.
0: Literal actual literal snakes.
1: Actual snakes.
0: That's so fascinating.
1: What I really loved was I think I mentioned Um, I watched this documentary called St. Patrick, Apostle of Ireland, put out in 2008. So this priest who was retelling the story in the documentary, he was talking about how he used this story to talk to his congregation. And how he would explain the story is that, you know, St. Patrick was going up to the top of this hill to worship God after this like long fast. And he was being beset by these like demon birds that were trying to stop him. And those demon birds could symbolize the, you know, our temptations, any any of the sins that we have and our temptations like to sin. And when he finally got to the top and he had to like face kind of like the the worst of it, this priest said that he viewed that as St. Patrick's own pride, but that we can view it also as like our pride that we constantly are having to push aside to do Mm -hmm. the work that needs to be done. And he said that that's how he viewed it was that St. Patrick was battling his own pride because he knew that he could not be the best Christian leader for Ireland that he could be if he did not rid himself of his pride Because if he kept thinking of himself as St. Patrick as the one that was bringing Christianity to Ireland instead of viewing himself as a tool that God was using so that God could give Christianity to Ireland, then St. Patrick would never be able to truly be the messenger that God wanted him to be. And so he was battling his own pride in that story, and he was able to not entirely defeat his pride, but to cast it away, to push it away from him and that he would always be mindful that his pride could come back at any minute and that, you know, he needed to be like watchful of that always, but that this was like kind of St. Patrick's, uh, battle. I think even in the story, like right at the end, it said, this was like the purgatory of St. Patrick, the, like the, the purging, of the the worst of himself so that he could then give the best of himself to Ireland. So that was that was that priest's kind of in, interpretation of the story of St. Patrick uh battling those like demons and venomous creatures and how he uses that story today to teach a message and reach his congregation. And it's fascinating to look at how throughout time, like a single story can be used to teach different things or to speak to different values at different times.
0: Thank you for listening to The Fairy Tellers. If you enjoy what we're doing, please leave us a review or share us with your friends. Also consider supporting us on Patreon for access to exclusive bonus content, including outtakes and monthly bonus episodes at patreon.com slash thefairytellers. Special thanks to Andrew Foray for our music and to Clarice Inch for our artwork. And of course, a big thank you to all our patrons. Without all of you, this show wouldn't be possible.
1: Fairy tales are always more interesting when something is added to them. Each new telling recharges the narrative, making it crackle and hiss with cultural energy. Maria Tatar. So, anyway, the magician, that druid priest, his name was (laughs) Lochu? (laughs) Laku? Laku!